You can take your Bibles, turn along with me to Psalm 111. What a momentous morning this is in the life of our precious church. What a momentous moment this is for me to look out and see you all together. To all be worshiping the Lord Jesus together on the first day of the new year in a new building. I love the story of what the Lord has done here. How he has provided for us. How he has led us. And how he has transformed this building from a call center and a warehouse into a place where the church can gather. From a call center to a place where people call on the name of the Lord. And here we are on the Lord's Day, on New Year's Day, in a new building. So what should we do? What should we think about? What should guide our thoughts today? What should be our theme Well, the same theme that should govern our gatherings every Lord's Day, to praise the Lord, to gather together to praise his name. And the Psalms are great for directing our minds and hearts toward the praise of God, aren't they? A psalm that's been circulating in conversation among the elders the last couple of weeks is Psalm 111, a wonderful psalm of praise a call to praise. And so on this special day, on this New Year's Day, on this new building day, I want to call us back to the main thing. What are we about? It's not buildings. It's not numbers. It's about praising the Lord. To praise the name of our glorious God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let me read for us from Psalm 111. I hope you're there in your Bibles. If not, just listen, and I'll read it out to you. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart, in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They're studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's given food to those who fear him. He will remember his covenant forever. He's made known to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are truth and justice. All his precepts are sure. They're upheld forever and ever. They're performed in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Lord, unite our hearts to praise your name. Stir our hearts to wonder at the majesty of your nature and character. Remind us, Lord, from this psalm who you are and what you have done. Show us your works 
and move our hearts to praise your name. That's the greatest thing we need for the year to come is a greater vision of who you are and a greater heart to praise your name. Give us both today, Lord, from your word and by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Psalm 111. It's a psalm that is not arranged logically or topically necessarily, but alphabetically. We have the ABCs of praise here. It's an acrostic with the exception of the psalm's opening call to praise. Each of the psalm's 22 lines begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And this is made clear. If any of you have the Legacy Standard Bible with you, a translation of the Bible, then you'll see that each Hebrew letter precedes each line as a title making it clear that this is an acrostic. In English, we would say that Psalm 111 represents the ABCs of praising God. What better thing to do at the beginning of a year than go back to the basics, the ABCs of praising God. It's also a psalm that is very closely linked to the next psalm, Psalm 112. Both psalms begin with praise the Lord. Both psalms are arranged as alphabetical acrostics, Some of the same wording that is used in Psalm 111 is used also in Psalm 112. The psalm begins in verse 1 with a call to praise the Lord and it ends in verse 10 with a call to fear the Lord. And what this psalm is teaching us from beginning to end is that the highest praise of God always flows forth from the deepest reverence for God. The highest praise of God always flows forth from the deepest reverence for God. That's a reality. The more we grow in the fear of the Lord, the greater will be our praise of the Lord. And the way we grow in fear of the Lord is by growing in our understanding and appreciation for who He is and what He's done. And that's what this psalm seeks to accomplish to remind us of who God is and what he has done in order that we might reverence him more deeply and praise him more consistently and more joyously. God has made us to be worshipers. That's our job. We're joking about the bathroom signs a little bit. There's a little bit of a kerfuffle about that, you know, so they weren't really clear. Were they men symbols? Were they women symbols? And the sign had one job. Make it clear. (laughs) Who is this room for? Well, we've been created with one job, and that is to extol our creator, to praise his name, to live for him and his glory. As we grow in our fear of the Lord, we will grow in wisdom. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if wisdom's beginning is the fear of the Lord, wisdom's end is the praise of the Lord. Wise people praise the Lord. Foolish people forsake praising the Lord. Foolish people praise themselves. Wise people see that all our good gifts come from Him, His good hand. We can take credit for nothing. So we praise his name. So here in Psalm 111, I want us to see together this morning five reasons to praise the Lord in a new year and in a new building. 
Five reasons to praise the Lord in the new year and in this new building. Five works of the Lord that when rightly understood and meditated upon cause us to grow in giving God praise. Well, before we get to the first one, let me lay out some introductory things. The psalm begins with an introductory call to praise. Praise the Lord. The Hebrew word is hallelujah. Handel's hallelujah chorus repeats this word that means praise the Lord 145 times. So before you start making fun of modern praise songs and call them 7-Eleven or whatever, you got a word with Handel. This hallelujah, this praise to the Lord is to be with the whole heart, the psalmist says. It's praise that's to be genuine. It's to be without reservation. It's without care or concern with who's around you and what they might think of you. It's a heartfelt praise and it's a praise that's given with our whole being. This is the kind of praise our God deserves and asks of us. Not a hesitant praise, not a half-hearted praise, but praise that is unashamed and unreserved. Next, we see that this wholehearted praise is to be given to the Lord publicly. It is praise that is given in the company of the upright and in the assembly. While we certainly can and should praise the Lord in private, in solitary moments, there's a special role that public praise should have in the life of every believer. We need to hear and see others praising the Lord and they need to hear and see us praising the Lord. When we gather on Sundays, we accomplish together something far greater than we can ever accomplish on our own. Corporate praise of God. We are testifying to one another of God's greatness. We're reminding each other of God's goodness his faithfulness, his sovereignty, his control over all things. In our gathering together to praise the Lord, we encourage one another and we stimulate one another toward love and good deeds. And as this was true of our gatherings as a church at the Maisland property, may it be even more true of us now. In this place, may we be known more and more as a church that praises the Lord wholeheartedly. Our praise of God is to be wholehearted public praise. If someone was watching you sing praise to God, would they be more encouraged to praise God too? Would they want to buy what you're selling? Is there a smile on your face? Is there enthusiasm in your voice? Are you thinking about the words that you're singing? Are you engaging with the lyrics, with the song, with the music, with the people around you. So for the new year and in this new building, it's good to ask ourselves, how can my praise of the Lord be more wholehearted? And how can my praise of the Lord take on a more significant corporate dimension? Perhaps some of us need to prepare our hearts more on Sunday, Saturday evenings for what is happening on Sunday morning. Perhaps we need to give more attention to the words, to the singing, Perhaps we need to listen more to the voices we hear around us. Some of us are so desperate to connect with God and we wrongly think that the key to getting closer to Him is by gathering together with other people and closing your eyes and pretending they're not there because they're distracting. That's the wrong idea altogether. That's not what we should be doing. We should be looking around at each other, 
We should be taking heart and taking courage by the fact that we see so-and-so who's just had a terrible loss in their life singing praise to God. Say, if they can do it, I can do it. We don't want to shut out those around us. Rather, those around us are essential to what God wants from us when we gather together. They're essential to what we need to receive from each other. Encouragement, testimony, shared joy in the Lord. So God wants us to praise Him, to praise Him with our whole heart and to praise Him in the gathered assembly. And what a gathered assembly this is. Is there anything that can help me, can help motivate me to praise the Lord more? wholeheartedly and more joyously in the year to come. Yes, there is. And the psalmist gives us five reasons. Here we go. Reason number one, praise the Lord for his works of creation. Reason to praise the Lord is because of his works of creation. The psalmist begins his reasons for praise in verse two by extolling the works of God. Works here most likely means God's works in creation. In Psalm 8.3, the creation is described as the work of God's fingers. In Psalm 19.1, creation is called the work of his hands. Psalm 104.24 says, O Lord, how many are your works and wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. This creative work of God in making all that is is called by the psalmist great. The work of God in creation is amazing. It's breathtaking. It's awe-inspiring. Whether we're gazing through a telegraph telescope to glimpse some distant star or we're peering through a microscope to see some of the smallest units of life the work of God's hand in creating all that is is truly great Christians have great reason to study the created world we have neighbors here the space foundation we love our neighbors we love the work they do because it gets people thinking about where did all this come from this place is amazing Space is amazing. It's vast. It's big, bigger than we can comprehend, bigger than we even know. That gets you thinking. We need to be thinking about that. Christians have great reason to study the created world for it gives us insights into the creator whom we praise. The works of the Lord are studied by all who delight in them. Psalm 19, 1 through 4 says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterance to the end of the world. Creation is constantly speaking of the glory and grandeur of the God who created it. The Christian, then, is not opposed to science, not at all. Rather, we as Christians delight in the study of the created world, knowing that such study will further point us to the greatness of our God who created it. From John 1, we learn that Jesus, the Son of God, was an essential part of creating all that is. All things came into being through him, that is, Jesus, the Word, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. The exterior of our new building isn't really much to look at, is it? But it's ours. No, it's not much to look at. It's not the church we would have constructed had we had unlimited resources and funds, which we didn't and don't, unless you know something I don't know. 
But you would be hard-pressed to find a more beautiful setting in this little valley with Pikes Peak towering in the distance. As you leave our front doors today, I want you to take note of that. I want you to look up. Lift up thine eyes. Look up and see the mountain and see the foothills around it and see the grandeur of God and what he's created and the gift that he's given us here to be able to see it so clearly. In the year to come, find ways to wonder at the created world around you. Take in a vista. Enjoy a sunset. Smell the coffee. Enjoy a sunrise. Hike a trail. Watch a documentary on the complexities of the human eye or the brain or the life of bees or whatever floats your boat. Let it all fill you with delight as it points you back to, the, to God's greatness. Praise God for his works of creation. Let the heavens tell you what they want to tell you. But you can't see it on your phone. Got to look up. Secondly, you want to grow in praise of the Lord? Praise the Lord for his works of providence. Verse 3 continues this list of praise. Splendid and majestic is his work. The psalmist uses a different word here for work than he did in verse 2. Here, God works. He acts. He goes to work. These works are said to be splendid and majestic. These works are royal works associated with kings and thrones over which they rule. God is pictured here as the splendid and majestic king ruling over all that he has made. God is always at work guiding, directing, intervening, ensuring. His sovereign works of providence are splendid and majestic. The last part of verse 3 adds that God's righteousness endures forever. This ensures the rightness, the justice, the goodness of all that God does. All of his works, he not only is working all the time and behind all things, all that he does is just and right and good, which means he's trustworthy. He never makes a mistake. He never overlooks a detail. He never makes a misstep. He never acts unrighteously. He always does what is right, and therefore, you and I can trust him. God has given us a divinely inspired record of God's providence in the Bible. And in it, he tells us how he began all things, how all things have proceeded, how all things are now, and how all things will one day turn out. And it's all ensured by his providence, his ordering and control and sovereign rule over all things. God presents himself in the scriptures as the all-wise and all-good ruler over all things. God is providentially working out all things in the world and in your life and mine according to his own divine will, for his own glory and for the good of those who love him. This work of God in providence is splendid and majestic and is a great reason to praise the Lord in the year to come. Colossians 1, 16 through 17 says that Jesus Christ is not only the creator of all things, but that he is the sustainer of all things. Jesus Christ is the one holding all things together. That is his acts, his works of providence in your life and mine. 
Jesus as the sovereign, providential sustainer of all things is worthy of our praise. We need only point to Jesus' majestic works of providence as the very reason why we're here in this wonderful new building right now. If it weren't for him, we wouldn't be here. Every step of the way, the Lord has providentially opened certain doors, closed others, provided this building at a highly reduced cost, provided a buyer for our other property, provided the right timing so that we didn't have to move to a temporary location. Folks, remember where we were last week? That was just seven days ago. And here we are. That didn't just happen. That was the Lord working things for our good, for his glory. And in this case, it happened to be we didn't have to go to some third location or a gym somewhere or something like that. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All of this is the Lord's doing and so he gets all the praise. Thirdly, praise the Lord for his works of redemption. His works of redemption. In verse 4, the psalmist says that God has made his wonders to be remembered. The word wonders here frequently refers to God's saving acts on behalf of his people. God's saving acts on behalf of his people, his wonders. That's clearly what's being referenced here. For God has made his wonders to be remembered. Another way to translate that would be God has made a memorial uh, out of his wonders. The memorializing of God's wonders almost certainly refers to the Passover meal, which was to be an enduring memorial for Israel to regularly remind them of the fact that God had redeemed them, delivered them from slavery in Egypt. God redeemed Israel not because Israel was better than other nations or bigger than other nations, but because God is gracious and compassionate, as the psalmist says in the second half of verse 4. God's saving acts, his redeeming acts, always stem from his grace and compassion, not in the worthiness of the one redeemed. God's saving acts stem from his grace and compassion. In the last part of verse 5, the psalmist tells us that God will remember his covenant forever. Verse 6 teaches us that God kept his promise to Israel and giving them the promised land. In verse 9, the psalmist repeats this emphasis on God's redemptive work and of God's commitment to keep his promises forever. The Bible teaches us that God made a covenant with Abram, an everlasting covenant to bless Abraham and his descendants after him. In Jesus Christ's death on the cross, God made a new covenant which for those of us who believe on Christ forever took away our sins, made us righteous before God and secured our home in heaven. I wonder, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ today? Is he your savior? Has he forgiven all your sins? Have you trusted in him as the only sufficient sacrifice for your sin? Jesus Christ, the son of God, born of a virgin, we just celebrated his birth, Born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. Walked the earth all his days, always doing what was pleasing to the Father, always being pleasing to God, so that he might go to the cross as a sinless, perfect, spotless substitute for sinners like you and me. That's exactly what Jesus did. He died on the cross. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the grave, victorious over the grave, victorious over death, victorious over hell, victorious over Satan. 
And now God offers through his son Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross forgiveness and eternal life to all who will trust in Jesus alone as their savior. Listen, you can't trust in your own good works. You can't trust in being a part of an opening day at a church. You can't trust in being baptized. You can't trust in taking part in the Lord's table, communion, drinking a little bread or drinking a little cup and drinking a little, eating a little bread will never save you. There's only one thing that will save you and that is the gloriously effective atonement of Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is his name and he died for you. Are you trusting in him? I trust that you are. Well, God has left us an enduring memorial, even as he left the Israelites the memorial of the Passover. God has left an enduring memorial of his redemptive works in the Lord's table, the bread and the cup. He's given that to us to constantly remind us of his son, Jesus Christ, and his perfect sacrifice on our behalf. We're gonna share in that memorial in just a little bit. Fourthly, Praise the Lord for his works of care. Thank God for his care. Look at verse five. It's a very brief mention, but it shouldn't be overlooked. God cares for his children. God provides for his children. God will meet your needs when you look to him. He never promised to supply our every want and desire, but he promises to meet our needs. We sometimes get those confused needs and wants and desires. God promises to meet our needs. Psalm 84, 11. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Philippians 4, 19. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. There's great reason to praise the Lord here. God cares and he meets our needs. Can you see that in your own life? Can you testify to the Lord's goodness in your own life? Can you count your blessings and see how the Lord has provided and cared for you? Yes, life is hard. Yes, it's been difficult. But did you die? Are you here? Are you well fed? Are you well clothed? These and all good gifts come from God's good hand and are reason to praise him. Fifthly and finally, praise the Lord for his works of revelation. Verse seven says that the works of God's hands are truth and justice. God always acts truthfully and he always acts justly, which again means that we can trust him. The psalmist continues by saying that God's precepts, his teachings are sure. God's word is sure. God's word is trustworthy. God's word is a solid foundation on which to build your life. You can count on what God has said. God has revealed himself to us, not only in nature, yes, he reveals himself to us in nature, but even more fully in his word, the Bible, 
and in his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible is God's revealed truth to us. Verse 8 says that God's precepts are upheld forever and ever. God keeps his word and he preserves his word forever and ever. Jesus says concerning his own words that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This this earth is going to go away someday, but not the words of the Lord. Beloved, God has given to us this great gift in giving us his word. Through this word, we can know him. Through this word, we are saved. Through this word, we are transformed. Through this word, we learn his will for our lives. Through this word, we find the correct perspective on our past, a right understanding of our present, and a hope-filled outlook for the future. We can praise God for his works of revelation to us. As a church, we've been going through a lot of change lately in the last year. We changed our name, Cross and Crown. Some of you still getting used to that. Me too. We sold our building where our church gathered for worship for almost all of its 50 years of existence. And now we've begun to gather in what was once a call center and warehouse. By any standard, that's a lot of change to digest in a pretty short period of time. And let me commend you for how well you've digested it. But what absolutely hasn't changed during that time is our commitment to the centrality of Scripture to guide us and form us and lead us. What hasn't changed is our commitment to keeping the Scriptures central to our teaching, our counseling, our discipleship, our worship, all of our ministry. That's because the Word of the Lord is sure, it is just. It is altogether trustworthy. There's no other foundation upon which to build. Beloved, we have so many reasons in the new year and in this new building to praise the Lord, do we not? So let us do it with our whole hearts. I love how Charles Spurgeon summarized this psalm's message and calls us to respond. He says this, Praise ye the Lord. Do it now. Do it always. Do it heartily. Do it instead of what you sometimes do, namely, doubt him, murmur at him, rebel against him. Praise ye the Lord. Ye who are beginning the Christian life, praise him for your regeneration. Ye who have long continued in it, praise him for sustaining you all this time. And ye who are most ripe for heaven, You know who you are? (laughs) Begin now the praises that will never, never end. Folks, this is what we're going to do for all eternity. So let us praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, you are worthy of all praise. Lord God, who in heaven is like you? Forgive us, Lord, for being fascinated and preoccupied with so many lesser things. Help us to regain our focus this morning, the first day of a new year, the first worship service in a new building.
to remember what's really important, why we're here, the one job you've given us, to praise your glorious name, both now and for all eternity. Lord Jesus, I pray for those here who aren't sure if they're a Christian. Maybe they're not sure that their sins are forgiven. Maybe they feel like they've gone too far and sinned too much, but their sin is too great, their guilt is too heavy. Lord, I pray that you would call them to yourself. I pray that you would open their eyes and give them faith to see that your sacrifice on the cross cleanses from all sin and is sufficient to save to the uttermost. May they call on you as their Lord and Savior. May we as Christians today, Lord, praise the name of the Lord our God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.